0: Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Is political power devilish, and what would Jesus say about that? Early on in this project, we had Mark West on the show and we talked about a great article he wrote for God Archie titled Jesus Is Wild at the GOP. At the time, Mark was also writing a book titled What He Said. Today I'm going to talk to Mark about his article for TheBadRoman.com titled Is Political Power Devilish? and his book, What He Said. Let's
1: go. Right. We'd rather Let's serve God desire right. right Caesar. You Let's know what me? Right. I'm just trying to right. live what he said. I'm just trying to live what
0: Mark, how are you doing today?
1: Man, I'm doing great. We're having a beautiful Sunday, a little bit breezy after some storms yesterday, but otherwise it's real, it's real pretty outside.
0: Yeah, I haven't been outside today. I work overnight, so I'm just kind of getting around for the day, but I do look out the window and it looks like it's nice outside outside of Memphis here too, so... What have you been up to since the last time you were on the show? We had a pretty cool conversation discussing uh, your article you wrote for Godarchy, and it really resonated with me because I remember leaving the GOP and getting into understanding uh, voluntarism or or anarchism, whatever term you want to use, and reading your article really was almost like we were walking hand in hand together, reading what you said in, in this article, but what have you been up to since? Well, uh, to be
1: honest, I've been kind of on a almost a spiritual pilgrimage of sorts. That's what my book was uh, kind of the the culmination of. It was kind of the the trigger point uh, for a new way of looking at everything. But I have been trying to uh, because I've noticed that in the era of COVID, there has been a lot of mental health uh, type issues and problems. Uh, so I've been working on my blog trying to deal with, with uh, I'm, I'm kind of crossing over. I'm using my blog now, and, and you'll see the posts occasionally on Facebook, uh, that's me in the corner. Uh, if, if you see me post something that starts with, that's me in the corner, uh, basically that's what I'm doing. That's the part of my blog that I've kind of sequestered off to talk about. Uh, mental illness, uh, coping with mental illness, my own dealing with mental illness, uh, and and also this uh, this new pilgrimage I want. Uh, some people call it a, a, a deconstruction, a um, term renovation, because I'm not walking away from Jesus, but I am walking away from of the religious trappings that I had uh, in my walk with Jesus. And that's what I've been doing. I've just been trying to help people deal with, let them know that there's somebody out there that, that's also dealt with mental illness that's not afraid to talk about it so that they feel like they have an avenue. You know, they have a, they have a, a I guess, a partner, not necessarily in crime, but just somebody that that's sharing that experience and somebody that, that doesn't want them to, I, I'm not ready for anybody to exit. You know, I, I want people to, to choose to stay here and, and stay with us. And that's, what I put my started using my blog as is just kind of a beacon of hope, uh, letting people know that you know there are others. Uh, you're you're not alone. Uh, this mental illness battle is is part of a larger war, and you've got people that are veterans that are ready to fight beside you in it and 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 help you fight through it. But that's what I've been doing with my blog, that and walking through my deconstruction slash renovation, uh, and just been focused on family life, just getting unplugged from everything that was pulling me away from my family and and just refocusing and recentering everything on on my wife and my children and and just displaying this this faith before them so that they've got a foundation to to build from.
0: I really appreciate what you're doing with that blog. I haven't had a chance to look look at it, but I'm going to now because it really resonates with me and my family because and you know my brother passed away back in August and it was uh What five months after the COVID stuff started, and he dealt with mental issues, mental illness, and it basically the the isolation and stuff was was the end of him, you know. And it, he didn't commit suicide, but he did have enough time to be isolated and sit and drink himself to death. And it was it's something that I will always talk about because I don't think it's talked about enough in this aspect with um with with the COVID stuff because we hear about. The people that have died from COVID, you know, and people that have lost jobs, but you don't, they're not talking about people with mental illness and how it's affecting them. I mean, we started seeing the suicide rate spike immediately when it started. And, and at the time, I remember sharing a post on Facebook about a guy that he committed suicide, but his mom shared this uh, fact that they could not... Get in touch with him. They they were he wouldn't let them come see him. It was the same way my brother was acting. And mom said check on your brother. And I I checked on him and he seemed fine. You know I didn't really understand at the time how much it was affecting him. I mean, he was terrified of COVID and got furloughed from work and he would not go back to work when they offered him his job back because he was just scared to death. And it was just a recipe for disaster. Now this is something that I think needs to be talked about more with the mental illness aspect because. We're not hearing it. Maybe I want to hear more of it because it's more personal to me now, which sucks, to be honest with you. I mean, it it sucks that it's personal to me, but it, it is what it is. And I think we need more people talking about it because it's out there. It's a real thing that people are not discussing.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of what I've transitioned to is I've left the the political arena, you know, as as my article talks about, you know, with political power being devilish. I just became convinced of that reality and decided to find something more I guess you could say divine to do with my life. You know, my spark is is found in finding people that are hurting and trying to find ways to to let them know that someone's there with them. Uh, but, you know, that that's the thing with my blog. Uh, you know, if you, if you see it, anytime you click on one that says that's me in the corner, when you get in that article down at the bottom, I've got the whole run of articles on there because what I'm dealing with is my entire, the entire journey. You know, where, where it started, where it's gone, where it's been, what I'm doing now. You know things that have helped me, things that I've struggled with. I just trying to, to as I say often, I'm not an expert on mental illness as far as healing it, but I am an expert on knowing what it's like to go through it. And I'm trying to let people know that that there are a lot of us going through it. Uh, you know, mine is mine is anxiety. I, 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 it, it this last year has been just terrible uh, for someone with anxiety. Uh, so I I totally understand you know, your brother is uh, or was, you know, not wanting to, to go back because he was scared of COVID because my wife, uh, she was, she was in that spot too, for a long time, just terrified. Uh, and she's still, to some extent, it's still paralyzing for her to think about, you know, going back and, you know, reengaging everything again. You know, she's been working, but she actually left a job that she had at that time because she was working with the public just because, The anxiety in her and the fear of what could happen if she caught COVID, um, it was overwhelming. Um, And so that's that's something we've dealt with personally as well. Uh, But like I said, that's what I've been doing since. I mean, I still touch on politics some just where I see it intersecting my faith, Uh, but really I'm more trying to. I guess you could say I'm the dude at the gate and when I see the politics coming in I start throwing rocks because I, I do see this this devilish aspect to it and trying to walk like Jesus walks. Uh he was offered the reins of political power time and time again that we see in scripture and every time he walked away from it. He didn't go that path. And I think it's probably wise for us not to try to use that
0: either. Right. You mentioned uh deconstruction or would you call it reinnovation or Renovate, yeah, deconstruction,
1: renovation. You find it? Uh, it's typically called deconstruction. I don't like the word deconstruction because I don't like the idea of just tearing the whole thing down because that's not what I'm doing. I'm more deconstructing the bad parts of it and renovating them into something that's more in line with with who I see Jesus as, uh, if that makes sense.
0: What I like about it is, and we hear Keith Giles talking about it all the time, and it's something that I've had to do myself because I spent a lot of time in Southern Baptist churches. and I was just talking to somebody about it on Facebook today, I think. you know, in, in Southern Baptist churches, they've considered themselves a New Testament church, the only New Testament church. And if you weren't baptized by a Southern Baptist church, you had to be baptized again i've been baptized a couple times because apparently the first one didn't take according to the southern baptist but you know back in the day i believed all that and i've I've just really made my understanding of the bible very simple because when you get into theology debates i just it goes over my head i'm not interested i just i don't understand why we have to have them i understand it may be interesting to folks but i don't remember jesus in, in my readings of the what he was doing he didn't walk around debating people in theology really he just told, told us to love your neighbor love your enemy take care of the, the needy i mean it was it's all very simple and i think we we have a tendency to make it convoluted and it's it's not necessary and i think that pushes a lot of people away from wanting to learn more about jesus and i actually like the the fact that i've been able to tear down some of that stuff because i was very adamant about things that i believed back then And that wasn't being received by non-believers. They didn't want to hear it. You're not reaching people by telling them that they're going to burn in hell if they don't believe a certain way. I just, I, I can't, I can't get on board with that anymore because I don't remember that being a thing with Jesus. He just said, love your neighbor. And that's what I always fall back on. Love your neighbor. And that's what I love the title of your book so much, what he said, because what did Jesus say? Did he tell you to go find out what John Calvin said? No, it wasn't even a a suggestion. It was a commandment. Love your neighbor. (laughs) He wasn't suggesting you do it. He was telling you to do it.
1: Yes, he was. And that's one of the things that that has always stood out to me is Jesus said to love your enemy. And, And when you think about humanity, the person that is going to be the furthest away from me is my enemy. So if I am supposed to love my enemy, then there is no reason I can't love everyone between that enemy and myself. So if I can love the enemy who is furthest from me, I can love everybody between that enemy and me. Uh, and and that that is what stands out because it just gets back to what did he say? And I have a lot of people that get mad at me when I say that, you know, though I'll make a post on Facebook. Hey, you know, these are the things Jesus said, you know, what what are we doing? And people get so upset. And I'm like, this is where my deconstruction is. And, and one of your guests on your podcast, Keith Job, he's somebody who does a lot of deconstruction type stuff online, uh, helping people with this concept. But my deconstruction, basically, I was like, well, if I'm going to say that Jesus is my king, then I'm going to start from the basis that, that what he said is really the most important thing. It's called the red letter Christian heretic, I guess. Uh, but I'm one of those, I really start with what Jesus said. And I move from what he said to examine everything else in scripture, because if something else that I find in the Bible or some way somebody's teaching the Bible doesn't line up with what I see Jesus saying or what I saw him doing, I'm like, well, maybe that teaching is wrong. You know, we need to get back to the basics. Uh, You know, it's my radical approach is getting back to just what he said. I just want to start there uh, because I have enough trouble myself just doing what he said which keeps me from getting into all the big theological debates myself. So, teoriology or whatever other fancy word, you know, they throw out there. I just know that he said that those who love him will keep his command. They'll hear his voice. They will abide in him. That's all real simple. You know, not that it's simple to do, but it's simple to understand. It's simple to comprehend. Okay, if I love him, then I'm going to try to abide in him. I'm going to try to connect to him. I'm going to try to understand him. Uh, so it kind of peels away the layers of everything else and just really boils Christianity down to just, you know, what he said. So that that's kind of where I'm at in that journey. Just, you know, there are a lot of doctrines and trappings that I had in my faith that I'm in the process of deconstructing and the ones that I find to really be bad, I'm just going to leave them behind altogether. Uh, and the ones that are misshapen, I hope to renovate into something better so that my life more fully honors him. That is also where it bleeds over into the the political realm. And I guess this is something I deal with a lot. I don't know if you do, because you're you you you're a Christian anarchist as well. As you know, I tell people I'm a Christian anarchist and their first response is, well, you know, you then you don't want there to be any government. And what would you have done about Nazi Germany? Or what would you have done about slavery or what would you have done about this? I'm like, well, number one, start out, all those things were made possible because there was a government to begin with that assumed authority that it didn't have. Uh, But secondly, when I say I'm a Christian anarchist, I am going to recuse myself from using the force of government to make you do anything. I'm going to simply live my life. I'm going to do my best to obey what Jesus said and I'm not going to engage the government in trying to get them to do something to you or force you to do something or force you into compliance with some view of mine. That's what Christian anarchy means to me. Now I know that you're, you know, that that other people are are they're fully pleased with the concept of getting the government to do what they want the government to do, but they really struggle with understanding that I'm not trying to do that anymore. That's not who I am anymore. And you know, again, that's what you know. The article I contributed to your site and my blog really deals with is my kind of my getting away from that and becoming this new person, this, this new creation, and just following Jesus words.
0: Well, and that's basically what Christian anarchism is. I mean, (laughs) that's one thing I dealt with when I started understanding anarchy and it drove me crazy with anarchists because they were like, no masters, no rulers. And I would always tell them, I said, listen, you have to understand something. I understand what you're saying, but I'm a Christian first far before I'm an anarchist. I'm only an anarchist because I'm a Christian. Now, if you're trying to get me to understand your viewpoint and you're telling me that I can't follow Christ as an anarchist, I don't want anything to do with your anarchy then. And because and you're going to turn a lot of, of Christians off who are tired of, and this is going to lead into your article that I want to talk about, who are, are exhausted with, with political things. They're tired of it. And they've come to a point where they what do we do now? We're Christians, we follow Christ, but we know that there's still a government out there. Where do we go from here? and you're telling these telling these Christians that you can't follow Christ and be an anarchist. okay, well, then I'm done with I don't want your anarchy. i don't I don't want it. You know, I'll just follow Christ. and that's what Christian anarchism is. A lot of people like to say Christian voluntarists, which I understand using the term voluntarist is going to be more easy on the ears to a Christian that is not familiar with it and saying Christian anarchy. And I I, I think it just depends on the conversation, but anarchy tends to trigger a conversation a lot quicker than, than voluntarism will, but voluntarism actually is, it's all the same. It just depends on who you're talking to. And that's how, that's how, depending on the audience, that's, that's how I go about using either term. But when I'm talking to a status, a full-blown status that are talking about, their, their guy's better than the other guy. I'm like, I'm an anarchist. They don't want to hear voluntary they want to, because when they hear anarchists, they're hearing things like Sean Hannity and Donald Trump accused anarchists of being right. Which is not
1: what anarchy is in any
0: sense. Not even close. (laughs) But what I was saying, like you get to a point where you're exhausted and this is going to lead into your article. You began this article with exhausted and defeated. And when I read that, I was like, bam, that's it. I was exhausted and defeated. I felt like I was just just tired, like we were just talking about, because I, I was at my wits end with all of it. I knew what was going on was wrong with politics. I knew everything was wrong about it and that we're going down a, a path that's going to lead to the fall of this empire, which, you know what, it's going to happen at some point, And we, we can get into that later. But when, when you get to the point, we're just tired. And I think what that happens a lot. We just throw your hands up in there. What's next? What do we do now? And you said, that's exactly how I felt just over a month remaining in, in your insurgent or third party campaign for Arkansas governor in 2018. And you were celebrating your birthday with your wife and kid. You said you were beat mentally, physically, and emotionally. Tell me a little bit about that. Where were you at? I mean, Because you were still running for governor while this was going on. And we talked about it some in the prior episode. But tell me a little bit about that. Tell me, tell me what was going on in your mind, because you were at a point you were throwing your hands up but you knew you were being taught to, you, 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 you could hear Christ telling you that this is not the way. I want to hear more about that. Yeah, you
1: know, and this is where my book kind of ties into this article is I had preached a 12-sermon a series at my church going through August and early September of that year, of that campaign season. And that's what I was preaching was, was what you find in my book, what he said. And as I was preaching that series, as I was praying and reading through the Sermon on the Mount. I just kept feeling in my spirit that this whole political life, political existence that I was that I was fomenting, that that it was it was contrary uh, to what Jesus was teaching. It was the exact opposite of, you know, his teaching, you know, love, love your enemies, you know, pray for those who persecute you as someone you know, punches you in the face, turn the other cheek. If someone tries to take your shirt, and give them your coat too. If they compel you to go a mile, go two miles. The political realm is the exact opposite of all that. You know, if your enemy, you know, you're supposed to hate the Democrats and hate the Republicans. You know, hate anybody who's not your party. You know, if they if they punch you, you punch them back and you punch them back harder. Uh, so that they don't punch you again Uh if if they steal your shirt then you still you know you go to law you make sure they pay for it or you know it the whole concept of, of compromise and working together is just gone uh, when you think about politics especially the American politics that that we've been funneled into recently but the thing that that stood out was just this in Christianity you find energy you find strength you know what I'm Spend my time connecting with Christ the way I'm supposed to. When I'm listening for Him, when I'm obeying Him, there's just this energy for my life. But when I was doing this political campaign, it was just like there was no energy, there was nothing left. Uh, it, it was just sapping and exhausting every bit of who I was, and there was there was no give back, there was no reward, there was just emptiness and, and silence. And there were always this chorus of people that were happy to tell me what I should be doing. But there was no very few people that would come along and say, hey, how can I help you today? You know what? What's what's going on in your life? And the fact that it's the typical, you know, third party campaign. So there's very little support. There's very little help. There's very little anything. I just it, it exacerbated my anxiety and it pushed it over into depression. Uh, so that last month of my campaign, from like that period on, I was so exhausted. That I was like literally physically depressed. I mean, I was in the throes of depression, in, in that deep, dark tunnel of depression. I, I would, there, there was just nothing. You know, I would get up in the morning to read scripture and I was just like vapid. I mean, there was just nothing, just a... A blackness and a darkness and an emptiness and a vanity and everything. And and it was hard for me to connect with my family. And I knew deep down that I was dealing with all that because this political thing was not something that really honored God. I I just knew that deep down. Um, I still hadn't really put my my arms around it. And I was still about a month from you suggesting to me, uh, the Jesus, uh, Untangled book, uh, by Keith Giles. And I was so glad you recommended that book. That so really helped me see the light into the, the tunnel when I read that book. You know, so like, man, this is where I'm at. And this guy's like saying what I'm trying to say, but he's speaking to my spirit in a way that, that basically gives me the, the confidence to step away from it and not feel as though I'm letting society down or I'm letting you know future generations down by disengaging from the whole process, uh, and and that was what I needed. I needed the excuse to just get out and just be done with it. I was trying to listen to Christ's spirit. You know, that's that's what I say. Christ was telling me in His spirit that His kingdom wasn't built the way I was trying to build it, and that's what I was trying to do is build it through. Through you know this political change, this political transformation, and everything that I was seeing in the Sermon on the Mount was saying something different that that God wanted to use me differently than that.
0: That's great. And you and my buddy Chris Polk. I don't know if if you're familiar with him, but he's been on. He's on one of our roundtables. I got stuff recorded with him, and I've been on his show as well. But he said something about Jesus Untangled that I'm going to paraphrase it. It was great. He said. It's a book that Christians on the right need to read because the Christians on the right need to be punched in the mouth with some of these truths that are going on. And it's something that Christians on the left need to read after they've come to a point where like, there is, okay, there's got to be a better way. It, it, it solidified what I was believing because when I first read the book, I was getting to a point where I was transitioning into Christian anarchy. And I don't know. Keith Giles has never told me that he's an anarchist, but you read this book, it almost sounds like he's an anarchist. But it was, it it was very. It's it's a book that I think that if anybody listening that has not read, then you're an anarchist and you're struggling with some of this stuff. Read the book because it will it will tell you everything you know. Especially going, and I love how he goes back to the early church. The early church is something that, for for me myself, has been great learning how they responded to the state how they interacted with the state, you know, they didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't their thing, you know, and now we're going to have opinions on what the state's doing. It's like Brexit Cavey said in our episode, he goes, we're going to have very strong opinions. He goes, but it's not our thing. It's a thing, but it's not our thing. And I love that. I always keep that in the back of my head because it, it is a thing. It's, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that the state doesn't exist. It's there. It's, it's not the legitimate, but it's there. But, it, but it's not our thing. We just follow Christ. And in your article, you, you said one thing that stands out in Scripture is that Jesus doesn't really say a lot about politics. Yet the few things he does say should serve to at least caution Christians. I'm not going to deal with all of them, all of them here. No, I'm going to limit myself to just one. And you said Jesus was fasting for 40 days and nights and in the wilderness near Jerusalem. It seems that Satan tempted Christ toward the end of the fast which should theoretically be his weakest point. I think that this text amplifies how Christ viewed the political order. And when you look at the temptation of Christ, so this is, and I said this the other day, and I say it all the time because I get this question quite a bit. What is your favorite scripture to go to to discuss Christian anarchy? If you're trying to t- get a Christian to understand what Christian anarchism is, what is your go-to? And I always start with the temptation of Christ. When Satan tempted him, he, he said, I'll give you authority all this, so that means that Satan is behind these kingdoms. That should tell a Christian all they need to know about these kingdoms, and that does include the United States government. I know that's hard for that's a hard pill for Christians to swallow sometimes, but that does include the United States government. If Jesus understood who was behind these governments and he rejected that authority, we are to follow God, worship Him only. And if you look at the Christian right and I always pick on the Christian right because that's where I came from, but there's a sense of worship with these folks that I was completely ignorant of before I, my eyes started opening to things with Donald Trump. And I, I saw it with Obama. I thought, yeah, they're worshiping this guy like he's the next coming of Christ. But, man, Trump supporters took that to a different level, in my opinion. And I was like, wow, there is something bad wrong here.
1: Yeah, terribly wrong. And if we want to understand Christian anarchism, the best start point is the temptation. And this is where I think we, we we get confused a lot by you know this concept of the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. So we think well it's it's our dominion mandate to go out and and conquer these kingdoms uh, for God, you know to to conquer them and use them for doing God's work and doing God's will. But then everybody seems to forget Daniel's prophecy. You know, Daniel prophesied of this this statue. You know, that had the, the gold head and it had the, the silver arms and the bronze waist, and the iron legs, and then the feet that were a mix of clay and iron. And this here is a picture of all the kingdoms that, you know, had existed up until Christ was going to come. You know, Christ was this rock that was cut out of the mountain without hands. And what we find in that text is that the rock without hands begins smashing the statue. It doesn't infill the statue. It doesn't infuse the statue. It doesn't make the statue work for God's purposes. It crushes the statue because Christ's kingdom is different. It's not a kingdom of this world. And that is the message Jesus is giving us when he resists Satan in the temptation is that his kingdom is not a kingdom that's of this world. It's not a kingdom in the way we think of kingdoms in this world, or even in the way we do think of kingdoms in this world. Which is why I think we need to understand that, yes, those kingdoms are going to exist. They are going to have this violence-based authority. And that's the one thing that a lot of Christians don't seem to accurately and adequately comprehend, that the political systems, the political kingdoms of our world, they have a violence-based authority. Christ's kingdom is not a violence-based authority kingdom. It is a kingdom that is based on the actual exact polar opposite of that. As Paul wrote in Philippians 2, you know, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. He made himself the form of a servant. He emptied himself of all his divinity. He became the lowest of low in order to what? To obey God. And what did obeying God mean for Jesus? It meant that he was going to die on a cross, Uh, but that he was also going to be raised from the dead and that every knee would bow before him. So his kingdom is different and Christians on the right and left both get caught up in this, is they want to try to take the kingdoms of this world and they try to mask them with Christianese. And they think if they get the Christianese, the right Christianese mask on the kingdom, that they can make the kingdom do what they want it to do. And you you just can't do that. That's not the way this kingdom is going to work. And what we saw in the Trump era is how, Basically, the kingdom became like a, you know, it, it, and I had never listened to it this way. But I had a guy talk to me a couple of, a couple of days ago. It was like you know the whole concept of Donald Trump being God's anointed, you know, or any president being God's anointed. And he said, "Man, do you not realize how dangerous that kind of language is?" I'm thinking, you know, to back in the old days where the the you know the kings had the divine authority to do whatever the you know whatever the world they wanted to. He said, no man deserves that authority. And I was like, you know, I had never really looked at the whole concept of the divine right of kings and applied it to that language. But really, that's what's being said. You know, when they say, you know, Joe Biden is God's anointed or President Trump was God's anointed, they're basically saying, you know, we think these guys have divine right to tell everybody what to do and and to use violence to impose whatever we think is best on everyone. uh, Because the whole system is a violence based system. That's not what Jesus' kingdom is, that's why so often in his ministry you know there there were so many times that that people were you know there was one time where they had him you know cornered on a ledge and like hey let's let's make him a king you know we're we're ready, let's make Jesus king by force, and he's like no i'm I'm not doing that, and then they were ready to throw him off the cliff <laughs> because he wouldn't let them take him and make him king by force, so You know, he he shows us the example that his kingdom is something different. and I believe that's what the Sermon on the Mount describes to us is what his kingdom is supposed to look like. And there is no way you can take what's in the Sermon on the Mount and make it a system of government in any way, shape or form. You just can't. It's not possible. As Paul wrote, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. There is no way to make a physical violence-based authority kingdom system out of Christianity. Uh, But unfortunately, there's so many Christians that that believe you should, and and that's what folks like you and I are up against.
0: Hey folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman, and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. All right, let's talk about your book a little bit. Now, I think this will lead into it. And I like the, when you bring up the Sermon on the Mount, because I always go back to that as well. because just like you said, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's completely contrary to what we see in today's kingdoms or the worldly kingdoms. And not just today's kingdoms, but all of the kingdoms that have ever existed in this world. What made you want to write this book?
1: Um, I, I really felt that what I had received Uh, preaching through that sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount was a message that Christians in our country really needed to hear. The subtitle is Living the Sermon on the Mount, Transforming American Culture. Because what we hear so often in Christians is, well, you know, if we get this right politician or if we get the right policy in place or we get the right program going, then, then we can transform America you know, uh, make America great again or make America Christian again. There, there's all the sloganism. So Christianity has been reduced to is, is sloganism. Uh, you know, what, who can have the better slogan or who can have the better hashtag? And what I really want to do with this book is say, hey, let's quit all the slogans and all the hashtags. Jesus said plenty that is good enough. Uh, and we don't really do what he said anyway. You know, I mean, meekness, humility, being a peacemaker, you know, controlling your thought life, you know, surrendering your thought life to God, surrendering your, your uh, do goodedness to God, surrendering all of your, your religious, oh, your, your sacraments, you know, surrendering all those things to God. He's calling for a whole life transformation. He's calling for an entirely different way of living. You know, like the chapter that I always struggle with, and that was why I, I was kind of glad that you mentioned that, you know, beforehand, chapter eight. That was the hardest chapter for me to write because I have anxiety. You know, there, there's not a thing you can come up with that I can't find some way to worry about it. You know, just doing the podcast today, I was worried about how it would sound and what I would say coming on a podcast. So that chapter has always been very, you know, his words there about how we should deal with earthly possessions, uh, how important living for his kingdom is versus all the other stuff we try to do, all the vestiges of our faith that we do for, for people to see. And that was why I wrote this book. I was really, um, and, and I write about this in the introduction to, in the introduction of the book, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, he said that, that what the world really needs to see is a new monasticism that's based solely on what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, and he was writing this back in Nazi Germany, and they were seeing a lot of the same public pressures we're seeing today in modern America. He was seeing them and he was preaching, you know, a, a, a vibrant, group of underground churches because the mainstream church had ostracized him because the mainstream church was, they were in line with, 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 Hitler, the make Germany great program. The, you know, the, you know, we've got to protect Christianity in Germany from, from the Jews and all the other, you know, immigrant people that are coming to Germany to, to destroy our Christian heritage. We've got to protect uh, our heritage. And, and there's so much of what was going on then that's going on now. And I was like, man, Bonhoeffer was writing about the Sermon on the Mount then. I think right now it still matters. So let me try to take what Jesus said and let it walk in the American context. Let it walk in American culture a little bit so we can see, you know, I take several different uh, contemporary things that were going on in the culture as I was going through this series of sermons. And, and I've talk about them in the book and I flesh them out. And that's really what the book is designed to be is just a call back to the American Christian to say, Hey, let's get rid of all this stuff. Let's just get back to the basics of what Jesus said. And, you know, this is his description of the kingdom. This is what we're supposed to look like in this world. And if we really are truly concerned about transforming America, it's going to start when we start living like this, uh, not when we capture the White House or the Supreme Court or the Congress or the local town council. So that's where the book came from. And that that was why I wrote it. And that's what I hope everyone gets from it as they read. Really it's just this challenge to come back to what Jesus said right. and just try to individually live what he said as an example to the world around us.
0: Yeah. And I always go back to the early church. And I don't know if people that follow this, this podcast are getting sick of me talking about the early church, but I'm not going to apologize to it because I think it's important to see exactly how they operated back then when it came to the state and they did not seek power or authority through the state. They worked on, they worked on the fringes of society. They worked with the folks that needed help. You know, the, the state says a lot of things about helping people with welfare and that's not what they're doing. The, the early church actually did that. And we need to get back to that as Christians. In my, in, in, I stress this all the time. If you can't find somebody that's in need in your, in your general area, find a, 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 an organization that does, that does work with these folks and help them. If you want to volunteer with them or if you just want to donate some money to them, that's how you can help these folks. Even if you can't do it physically yourself, you, you can help them in ways monetarily because these folks are needing to eat. These folks are needing their, their lights on. These folks are needing running water. And this is how you can help them. And that's what Christians, we're called to do by Christ. Christ tells us to do that. It was not a suggestion. He didn't say, if you feel like it. No, he told us to do it. And we have to get back to that as Christians, as the church. And it's very important to me to get that out to folks. People look at you like you're crazy sometimes, and that's okay. People look at me out of the corner of their eye all the time. (laughs) I'm used to it. If I go a day without somebody looking at me out of the corner of their eye to think that something's wrong, like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But you mentioned chapter 8 in your book. I love the book. But chapter 8 really is something that I want to talk about, because you you mentioned a series of don'ts. You said, don't collect earthly treasures. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about today. And don't worry about tomorrow. And Jesus told us, don't. What are you worried about? Why are you worrying? Okay, we're going to worry. I mean, it's just a human nature. But I think when we're worried about these certain things like, what, how's my 401k doing? How's my IRA doing? Or what, what, if, I, what, ha, what if I'm not here tomorrow? Or what's going to happen to me today? If you're worried about this stuff, it really distracts you from, from advancing the kingdom of Christ. And I think it's a tool of Satan. Worry is a tool of Satan to keep us distracted from doing what Jesus commanded us to do, like love your neighbor. If you're worried about, what Mark West is doing today, are you are you concerned about your fellow man? But let's go down these four. Don't collect earthly treasures. in In your book, you 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 mentioned in Matthew six nineteen, it said, "Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal." Break that down.
1: Yeah, um, you know it's it's again getting back to the basics. Jesus here is. In this, uh, you know, this comparison, when we're collecting earthly treasures, you know, we're we're collecting them because they we need them to provide something for us. And and you know, what I get to later in the chapter is is you know we're, we're hooked on the wrong thing. We're focused on the wrong inheritance. You know, we're worried about what we can have here, and that's not what Jesus is worried about. He's worried about what he can give us. You know, what he can pour into our lives. Uh, we get, you know, through all the don'ts, and at the end of it, we see Jesus says, you know, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And and that's where we have the comparison here. Jesus said, Hey, don't don't collect treasures on earth. You know, what are these treasures gonna do? You know, they are just gonna sit here. You know, all the stuff we have is gonna sit here, it's gonna collect dust, it's gonna go bad, you know, your car is gonna eventually Go bad, your computer's gonna go. You know everything you have, all this stuff you have. Even your clothes are gonna get holes in them. You gonna see monitors, the logos starting to you know fade over here, starting to come off here. You know, everything we have here falls apart. There's nothing we get here that lasts. But in Christ, we can find things that last forever. As He says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be." You know He is saying, "Hey, instead, why don't you store up stuff for heaven?" Well, what are things that we store up for heaven? You know I can't like buy fancy shirt you know you know shoot it up there you know it it, that's not what he's calling us to he's you know this is where he's comparing he's saying look you know you're collecting all these things that don't matter how much time and 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 this was what really struck me as i thought about it was you know how much time do we spend working to pay for the stuff it's not going to be here later and, and, and that's where I was going with that is, you know, the American culture, the American way is, you know, you, you work hard so that you can have stuff. You know, that's the American dream. You work so you can have stuff. But I think, again, we've, we've got the wrong dream. Uh, the, the true treasures we want is to have the fruits of the spirit in our life. You know, that's where our true focus needs to be so that we can share this kingdom with others so that when we get into that eternal state, there are people that are in that eternal state and are blessed there because we were in their lives here. That's the true treasure is is people, uh, not not all the stuff. And and that's, you know, I do eventually bring in that, that, you know, a a person can't have two masters. You know, Jesus says, no one can be a slave to two masters. And he says, you know, you can't serve God. And, you know, most of our texts say money. Uh, but the actual word in the, in the Greek is is Mammon, which was this this god, and this god was the provider of material wealth and blessing. So Jesus is basically saying, look, he said, you can have God who's not of this world, or you can have Mammon in this kingdom of this world and all this material pleasure and blessing and, and all that stuff. And, and you know what? What do we serve? What do we commit most of our time and effort to? Building a kingdom here or building His kingdom? And and that's what I was trying to get to with the the don't worry about, you know, don't, don't worry about your stuff. You know, don't don't collect these these earthly treasures.
0: Well, you mentioned your shirt. I have to say I, some of my favorite shirts have holes in them. And I, <laughs> I, they're just very comfortable to me. And my brother told me something. He goes, sometimes you just have to let go. <laughs> like I have a shirt that I will not let go of. And it's it's I love wearing it around the house because it's, it's raggedy but it's comfortable. Sometimes you just got to let go because eventually that shirt's going to completely fall apart and you're not going to be wearing anything and nobody wants to see that. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> now let's go to the next uh, don't. Don't worry about your life. And you touched on it some just now, but in, you, in the script you said, this is why I tell you in Matthew 6, 25, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body and what you will wear. This is important too. Because, and I I have uh, Jessica Green on, we talked about being prepared for being able to feed our neighbor, like when the next uh, virus hits or the next snowstorm rolls through, make sure you have enough food to last you a little while. And when, I think when he's saying it, and, I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, but to me, it seems like we don't worry about your life because there's going to be somebody, or worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, because there's going to be somebody that can feed you and, and give you water. I mean, Jesus isn't physically coming down and feeding us and giving us water, but there's going to be, that's where the Christian comes in. If we're working together, we should be able to take care of each other and provide these things for each other.
1: Yeah. And he's calling us away from this mindset also of, you know, we'd like to make sure that we're provided for. And, and you know, it was so, it, it's crazy the time and, you know, as I was working on it, as I wrote this part, it was before, you know, we had like the the, the pandemic in full force, you know, and, and all the people and jobs and we get into the snowstorms this winter, you know, where you really had situations where people were going, you know, without food and water. But our tendency is to make sure we're taken care of. And what God is trying to call us away from is this tendency to put ourselves first and say, hey, always remember others. You know, we, we get caught up in making sure that everything we have is within our reach. Everything we want is there. You know, if we work hard enough, we can always... You know, make enough for us and God's saying, quit worrying about making enough for you. I'm, I'm going to make sure that you have you as long as you're you're doing my stuff. You know, as long as you're living for my kingdom, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. Uh, you know, the the one verse that I mentioned it there in the chapter, you know, the the uh, verse 27. Can you add a single, can any of you add a single cubit to this height by worrying? And I've never been able to worry myself any taller. And that's what anxiety does, man. For me, anxiety gets me thinking like when we had the snowstorm and we were stuck here, it's like, man, what happens if I lose power? What happens if I, you know, don't, if we don't have enough food? What happens if we don't have good water? You know, and just my mind was just running through that entire list. I was totally failing, you know, in, in, in this context. And it's because the mental illness was part of that failure. It, it fed into that failure. It, 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 it attacks my faith. And that's one thing that people don't understand with mental illness is, is it, it is irrational. Mental illness is irrational. It takes away your ability to rationally, logically break down a situation or a circumstance and, and see the tomorrow coming. Uh, and, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, look, you know, the, the wildflowers in the field are dressed beautifully. How, how much time do they spend worrying about what they're going to look like? You know, how much time do the birds spend worrying about where they're going to find food? And yet those are things we worry about all the time in our culture. Uh, Now, mind you, until COVID came around, most Americans weren't really worried about where their food was going to come from, where they were going to get the next roll of toilet paper. But that created a sense of, of want in America that we hadn't seen in a long time. And what did we see happen? You know, we had people going to grocery stores and not leaving enough for somebody else. You know, and that highlighted what was wrong with the heart of American culture is there wasn't the concern for the other. When you go to the grocery store and the shelves are bare, and you know that grocery store typically has enough for everybody, that tells you that people were overbuying. They were thinking about themselves first, and that is one of the things that christ is trying to call us away from this always in everything we do think about the other person you know and that's what he's calling us to with with food and with clothing is, is think about the others you know don't just think about you think about the others if you're worried about your power going out think about others that really be without power you know if you are concerned about going without food think about people that that don't have food at all you know what what can you do to help those people how can you keep those people at the forefront and in essence, when you do that, you are living the kingdom life because you have to love somebody to think about them like that. And that's what the kingdom life is about.
0: Good words. All right. The next one is don't worry about today. And you quote uh, Matthew six thirty one through 33. Says, so don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. And you just touched on that. I mean, if you seek, if you seek the kingdom of God, all this stuff's going to be provided for you and you're not distracted from the other stuff. <laughs> just follow the, just just seek the first the kingdom of God and all this stuff's provided.
1: Everything else just becomes a distraction.
0: It keeps you from being who you're supposed to be.
1: You know, we are called into Christ to be a new creature, a new creation. That's what we're supposed to be. All these things, all the chasing, all this warning, it all distracts us from that. It makes us be something that we weren't intended to be. And that's why our society and our culture are as jangled up as they are is because there are a lot of people who, name the name of Christ, who aren't living that kingdom life. And because they're not living that kingdom life, our whole society is suffering because we're not living the kingdom. Christians in America, they like to blame it on... Donald Trump's of the world, or they like to blame it. You know, if you're a right wing Christian, you're right blaming the, the LGBTQ community for all the bad stuff going on in society or the entertainment community for everything. Those are scapegoats. Those aren't dealing with the real issue. And the real issue with America is that Christians are not living kingdom lives. We're not living the Sermon on the Mount. If we were, we would see, and with the number of Christians you have in America, if we were all living Sermon on the Mount lives, this country would look so much different. And, and that's, where I, that's where I was headed with that. You know, don't worry about today. You know, worry about living for the kingdom today and let God take care of the rest.
0: Oh, I agree. All right. There's a couple more. The, the, or the last one is don't worry about tomorrow. And then you finish this chapter with kindness is key. I want to get into that too before I let you go. But in the uh, don't worry about tomorrow, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is Matthew 6, 34. That's so, I mean, what, what else do you need to hear? <laughs> if you're to, why are you worried about tomorrow? You got to worry. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow's, I mean, today he says, each day has enough trouble of its own. Why are you worried about tomorrow?
1: You got enough to deal with right now. <laughs> yeah. You deal with right now. And, and, and I think that what this is calling us to, so many Christians are missing this because they're worried that it, that it has a, a Buddhist origin or some Eastern origin. But what I really gather from this is Jesus is saying, this moment right here that you're in is the most important moment of your entire life. Same thing is true of every moment that you live. So quit trying to relive the past. Quit trying to live the future before it's here. You focus on living right now where you're at for my kingdom. And then you're going to see the power that comes with the kingdom of heaven in your life. You know, that's when your life is empowered for the kingdom of heaven. And that's, that's living in trust of, of God to keep his promises, you know, that, that he is going to provide what you need. There's no need that you're going to have that goes unmet. If you're truly living every moment for the kingdom of Christ, he's going to make sure you're taken care of because you are walking and unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life in an amazing way at that point when you are actually actuating that in your life that embrace this moment uh, more than any other moment.
0: Exactly. All right. And then you end this chapter with kindness is key. In Matthew 5, 5, the gentle are blessed for they will inherit the earth. That's perfect.
1: Yeah. And I'm not wearing my be kind. I have a couple of hats I wear. This my Christian anarchy hat that's real smooth looking, but I've also got one that's just black and it just has two words. It just says be kind. Because i I wear it to remind myself that, you know, Jesus made it very clear that, you know, the gentle are the ones that are gonna inherit the earth. You know, everybody's like, oh, you know, the gentle are gonna have all the possessions, they're gonna have all the no, that's not what he's saying. You know, this whole concept of inheriting the earth is something totally different than everybody, you know, when when everything is said and done, you're gonna remember the people that have been kind in your life. You know, when when you're in a, a moment of need or when you have that personal tragedy, you're gonna remember the people that were kind, that had been kind to you in that tragic circumstance, or the people that have been kind to you. Um, you know, if, if you're on the side of the road and somebody stops just to make sure you're okay, you know, you'll remember that that little bitty piece of kindness more than you'll remember so many other things. Uh, you know, part of my upbringing was this this idea that, well, you know, I'll, I'll if I hurt your feelings, I'll just buy you something to make it better. And that—that's the way we think in America, is man. More stuff makes us feel better. Uh, more money, more accolades, uh, more accomplishment, more achievement. We're—we're we're living for all this more, and what Jesus is calling us to is just to be kind. I mean, man, if, if we would all just live that—that that simple, be attitude, just be kind. The numbers of Christians in this country would just—I mean, we—we we could transform America in a day if the Christians in the country would just live kind lives. Just be kind.
0: It's so simple. I mean, just, uh, just, just the concept sounds so simple, but we make it so difficult. And, you know, if we were to be honest, it's sometimes it's difficult to be kind to folks because they, they make it very difficult to be kind to them. But, you know, we got to work past That's, that's our thing. I mean, we've got to, We've got to work past that ourselves. Yeah, I was in the
1: grocery store the other day and there was a huge line of us waiting in line. And this guy comes in and uh lady comes up to open another register and he grabs her immediately, you know, and he goes. And I'm like, I'm sitting like, dude's been at the end of the line. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just, because at that very moment, I did have my Be Kind hat on, and face mask on. So I'm like, the last thing I need to do right now is to say something right here that's going to be unkind. You know, and that's part of it is just having the humility to to not always have to have the place you think you deserve. You know, it, that that's where we get wrong a lot is we think there are certain things we're entitled to. Um, but really in the gospel, the only thing we're entitled to is to have less than our master did. You know, that's what it says. You know, if they, if they treated your master with contempt, what, what do you expect? Our master was beat. He was spit on. They ripped at his beard. Uh, they put it thorny crown on his head and they they killed him uh so i shouldn't be expect to be entitled to anything more than that and i think too many of us in the christian have gotten where we expect god to to do more in our lives um from a material standpoint than we really have the promises in scripture to back up and because of that we have a a culture that is full of disenchantment there's a lot of disenchantment among Christian folks. And unfortunately, part of it led to the rise of Donald Trump um, because it was all bubbling under the surface for so many years, just this general disenchantment with everything not being the Christian way. And it just, what it's created is a society of angry Christians. And that's just the total, That I mean, if you ask me, that means we've lost, you know, if, if you're talking about a culture war, and you have a society full of angry Christians, then then those Christians have already lost the culture war. And they're not even fighting if they're angry.
0: Well speaking of the, the guy at the grocery store, I would I wouldn't have said anything, but I would have complained about it all the way home. And then I would <laughs> then when I got home, my cats would have heard all about it too. And they would have just <laughs> rolled their eyes at me and walked away like they normally do when I'm complaining about something. But Well the funny thing was
1: there's a there was a guy that was in line in front of me that I see and all the time. And he turns around and looks at me, and he's just got this incredulous look on his face. Oh, I didn't shrug. I don't know what to do. Uh, he did go over and say something. To just me. tell
0: your big. Yeah, he
1: did say something to the guy. I don't know what he said, but but I yeah, it, it, but it was funny. But that 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 just exemplifies where we are. You know, is is the things that Jesus would have us do, we find the hardest to do, and that's that's why I wrote the book. Is just trying to call us back to what he said and hopefully encourage people to to live it and and do what he said uh, so that we can truly actually win a culture war because you're not going to win a culture war by forcing the culture to be what you want it to be you're going to win it by showing them that you actually do know a better way and and you're walking by that That's
0: good stuff my friend i really appreciate you coming on and telling us talking to us about the article and telling us about your book and Folks, listen, if you have not read this book, I, I recommend it. It's, it's a good read. And why don't you tell us where they can find your book and, and find your blog at? You
1: can find my book at markwest-author.com. General spelling of the name, M-A-R-K-W-E-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R.com. Uh, you can find my book there. My blog is at mark. The number four, Libertas, L-I-B-E-R-T-A-S dot com. Uh, you can find my blog on there. You just click on the little blog button, and any of them in there that say that's me in the corner—that I'm dealing with mental illness and and deconstruction, and and really trying to uh, launch kind of a, a ministry effort through that. Uh, just just trying to help people and be there for people, uh, especially. Uh, with, I, I really think we're about to have a wave. I mean, we're already seeing some of it, but I think we gonna have more uh, mental illness issues. Uh, we, we still haven't had that wave of the pandemic hit yet. I think we've we've seen the increase, but I still think a surge is coming. Um, especially, you know, we're seeing these shootings as things starting to break loose. You know, it's, it's 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 been there, and it just hadn't had the opportunity to surge yet. And I'm I'm afraid it's about to.
0: Well, man, I do. Like I said, I do appreciate you coming on. And uh, you mentioned in your article maybe another book. So if, if that happens, let me know, and I'll pick it up, and we'll we'll have you back on. All right, we'll do. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. All right, thank you, sir. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit TheBadRoman.com.